All right, all right, all right. See, now I get to channel Matthew McConaughey because David's not here. So David is not here again. So as he would say, does two make a trend? <laughs> so in studio with me today is Justin Bruggeman. Justin, give everybody a shout out. Good to be here. So Justin is another advisor in our office. We work as a team. So if you are currently working with our firm, Justin knows all about you. No, he knows about your finances, actually. Um, he helps with a lot of the portfolio stuff, with um, which I could try to fumble through and explain, but I bet you could probably easier explain <laughs> to our audience exactly. So we work as a team, and I want to reemphasize that a little bit. So Justin helps out with that team, right? There's no I in team. So uh, he helps with uh, some of the portfolio rebalancing, some of the investment choices. David and Justin collaborate together on quite a bit. They make a great duo um, for our investment side. But Justin is in studio today, which I had to drag him kicking and screaming just a little bit as he's smiling at me. Okay, you realize this is radio. You got to talk. You got to use your words. It's, it's only because I'm missing golf right now. Oh. That's the only problem. <laughs> Yeah, if you can just get the visual of like the cat with the nails getting dragged across the carpet, right? That's kind of how Justin feels right now. But he's in here and he has a smile on his face and he is happy to be here. So let's uh, give our listeners really quick a quick market recap because we are in the financial industry and we'd like to talk about the market. What's been going on with the market lately? So it's down a hair, right? Just down a smidge from last show last week it's down like not even one percent so it's just kind of flopping around in the water again right making lots of noise but not really doing a whole lot um and i know that people have been calling our office asking what should i do justin do you have an opinion on this one or something you want to share with our listeners at the moment it's be patient at this point um you know, we're waiting on more data to come in to see what's kind of going on. Um, so at this point, it's a matter of just being patient and understand that this is long-term investing for most people. And we're just seeing, waiting for all the numbers to come back and the trends to come through and, you know, we're, we'll react from there. Now, when you say data, what... Um what kinds of data? I mean, I feel like that word gets thrown out a lot, but um, is it, I mean, we have our own process, right? Like we have our own process and our own systems that we use. And um, I know there's signals that you and David look at, right? So right now, um, we talked about this a lot in our office too. Our signals are still strong, right? To be in the market. Uh, correct. Yeah. The signals that we use, which the three that we mainly use is the market you know, as a whole, the economy as a whole in the credit market. Right now, those are still flashing green to go. Um, you know, with the volatility that's kind of going on, um, you know, I don't know if those will change or not, but right now everything is still kind of on the up and up at the moment. So, um, Which is a good thing to understand for you as a listener and as an investor. One of the things that you don't want to do is let your emotions get in the way of your investments, right? Because that can be a very scary thing. Um, we do not invest based on our emotions. We have a process. That's what we do, right? We look at the signals. We make sure that everything is where it needs to be and that we make corrections as needed. 
But uh, emotional investing can be very dangerous, right? Because if you start to get fearful or anxious um, and you start making decisions based on your emotions, you're not usually making logical decisions. Um, there's a whole study out there that talks about the difference between emotion and logic. And it says when you're really emotional that you can't be logical. So be careful about emotional investing because um, it can lead you down the right wrong path. And we want to make sure that you're doing smart investing, right? Logical investing. So, but the markets are not, they're not at all time highs, but they're not at all time lows either. They're actually just kind of making their way through, right? They're just, they're like stable at the moment. Like I said, they're down just a smidge from the last show, but not even 1% on most of them. Um, the S&P 500 closed today right at 2,900. Um, the Dow Jones closed at 25,962. So trying to push that 26,000 mark again. And the NASDAQ was at 79.48 and change. So again, also trying to push that 8,000 mark. Um, not too far off the all-time highs. And we had all-time highs in July, right? So that's kind of nice to see is that stuff is going up in general in the right direction. Um, I know that uh, you and David have been very cautious lately about the markets and keeping a very watchful eye on them, waiting to see if we need to do something different. But right now, it's just kind of charge forward as usual. So I am going to share something kind of funny, a little bit off topic today. So today on the show, we are uh, we're going to talk about trying to help people under 30 get started. Now, if you are not under 30, that's okay, because you either probably have children or have somebody in your life that might be under 30, right? And it's always nice to be able to share a little word of wisdom. But first, I'm gonna talk about found money. And this actually is, it's a personal story, it pertains to me. Um, I received a letter in the mail this last week that says, the state of California has some found money for me. Now, I used to live in Southern California, moved up here in 2010, and I was curious about it, right? Now, a lot of times when you get mail like that, you think, oh, it's a scam or it's junk mail or different things. Well, I didn't receive one letter, I received two. So I thought, well, this is kind of weird, right? I have two different asset recovery places trying to, of course, help me because they want their share. Now, so I did my due diligence and I went online and sure enough, I have some money floating out there that I was unaware I had. So I have started the process and printed out the paperwork now. With found money, there's always, you know, the state wants to make sure you are who you say you are, right? So you have to identify yourself and print out the forms and be the owner of the money. But I thought it was really interesting to see what was out there. So, you know, you may have some found money out there. And in that case, you can look for, you can go to the state that you live in or the state that you're from, right? And uh, just type in the state of Oregon and... I think found money and it'll take you pretty much right to the state website um, and you can type in your name and search for your area and see if you have any found money and if so then take the appropriate steps to get it but there are obviously always people out there that are willing to help you for a fee because <laughs> as far as I know nobody really does anything for free these days but I was kind of amazed to find to have a little found money right that was kind of my little blessing in my life this last week so I was like huh. so I just wanted to share that with you as a listener, right, if you are curious, if you have some found money out there, you can just go to the state website and, like I said, search for your name and search for your city or, um, and see what comes up because you never know. There may be some money out there. Um, it was interesting, though. For me, it was actually shares. So I was pretty excited about that. It was to the tune of about $15,000. So needless to say, I'm pretty excited to have some found money. <laughs> but sometimes it's like $20 reimbursement checks or $40 stuff or refunds that you should have gotten from somebody that 
Um, somehow it got lost in the mail. So check that out. Just kind of a little FYI if you're looking for some extra cash. Um, you may or may not have stuff. All right. So going back to today's topic, helping people under 30 get started. Right. And so in the process. So, uh, Justin, why do you think it's important for people under 30 to get started now? Nobody's ever said that you should have started later. Um, That's you know, a good speaking point. with clients and things like that, every time um, that we talk to people that we associate with and things like that, every single time that they say, I should have started 10 years ago. Um, so the biggest thing, you know, looking at this is, especially being under 30, is getting started in whatever way, shape, or form that is whether it's through your employer and if they have an employer-sponsored plan. If they don't have an employer-sponsored plan, um, you're going to have to go outside and do it on your own. Now, that can be kind of scary, trying to do it on your own. Like, how do you figure out where to go or what to do? It didn't necessarily mean do it on your own. I meant this, if you don't have an employer-sponsored plan, there are other vehicles out there to start saving for retirement. And that's um, whether it be a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA, um, getting your emergency fund kind of intact, those three to six, six months expenses are important. Um, getting on the right trend to get things moving in the right direction. Um, so what I hear you saying is saving, learning how to save early on is something that's really important. By the way, something I wish I would have figured out in my too. 20s, right? Like, Because I had started investing in my 20s and I think the one thing not necessarily that I did wrong, but the one thing that wasn't explained to me by my investment advisor at the time was the why. Why was it so important to get started? You know, like I don't think we really had that conversation. I don't think it really sunk in with me on why I should be saving consistently and why it was important. Like I wish somebody would have showed me a compounding interest chart back then, because I think I would be much further along in my retirement now than I am. And I don't know if you had that same kind of thing too, but I was just like, really? Because I've either been self-employed or worked um, for someone who was a small family business. Like I haven't really worked for a large corporation. So there was never um, employer-sponsored plans available to me. So I did have to do it on my own. And I didn't, um, and like I said, even though I've always kind of had an investment advisor, I didn't really realize the importance of it until I started working for Little John Financial Services. How about you? Like, what was your, because you said you also wish somebody would have kind of told you early on. With me, it was more of how I relate to it is creating a habit. Um, even starting at a young age, starting to save monthly on a monthly basis. Ever since I started working, if I would have took 10% of that, $100 of that every time I got paid, it would dramatically change the situation you could be in 10 years later. And I'm just a habit type person. I stop by the same store every <laughs> single day. I stop when I go to a restaurant, I order the same thing 90% of the time when I'm there. And so creating a habit of savings is, for me, it almost had to be forced savings. I had to create this forced, savings, say $100 a month or out of my paycheck or um, 
they even have those new things now, the bank accounts that round everything up to a dollar and push that into savings. So they call them acorns. I think acorns is one of them. Um, if you're wondering what Justin's talking about, so credit cards do it. I know that debit cards can do it. Banks can do it. Um, but like you said, so say it tra- it's like $2.47, they'll round it up to $3 and they'll throw a change in an investment account. Now, the difference with those is a lot of times you have to have, you have to reach a certain dollar amount before it can actually be invested, right? So it kind of stays in cash and acts as a savings account temporarily. Um, and a lot of times the threshold on that is a couple thousand dollars. So if you're not starting with a chunk of change, it could take you a while to actually start investing. But it's a good way to slowly throw things in savings without you being super worried about it, I guess. Or like, you know, it's kind of subconscious, right? I think in our head, we naturally kind of round up anyway as we're uh, keeping track of our expenses. So if you don't miss the change, then what does it matter, right? It's no different than taking the change out of your pocket and going home and throwing it in a jar, but it's in an account that can be potentially invested. Is that that kind of what you were going for? Yeah, exactly. So the other uh, thing that you mentioned on that too um, was forming that habit, right? Now, we talk about having a job and we're assuming, you know, making assumptions here that most people are kind of getting a job somewhere over 18, but maybe out of college too, maybe in their early 20s, right? Like starting their career, getting a job and then starting to, to save then. You could start saving in high school. Or junior high like if you mow lawns and babysit and do things like that you could start an investment account then like you don't necessarily now I didn't say a retirement account I said an investment account because they're not the same thing Justin's kind of looking up in the sky like I'm trying to think about and process what she's saying um, so remember if you're gonna open a retirement account right you have to have earned income Um, And I'm going to take it a step further and kind of classify it as income that's reportable to the IRS. (laughs) Okay, so so if the IRS knows you made it, then I'm going to consider that earned income. Um, Now, you know, if you, I guess if you want to claim self-employed and do babysitting money and report a um, tax return, you know, there's probably ways to do that. I'm not a tax person, so I'm not giving you tax advice on that. Um, at all, by the way, but um, but earned income is something that's very important, right? So the IRS has to know you made it. That's kind of the the key thing. Um, but you can have earned income even as an infant. Like if you were in a TV commercial and you made a paycheck, you can have earned income and open a retirement account early on. Now, doesn't usually happen for most people, right? Usually earned income comes, comes when you're actually old enough to get a job. So, but it can still be high school. Right. Like, say you go to work for a local restaurant or something like that and earn a wage. You can open a Roth IRA or traditional IRA. Not a problem. But hey, uh, we're starting to get a little bit long in this segment. We're talking about helping people under 30 get started. So we're going to take a quick break. This is Katie Shook and Justin Brogman. And you have the True Wealth Radio Show on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, and we're back. You have the Katie and Justin show today on the True Wealth Radio. David is on vacay. How fun for him. (laughs) I'm going to give a shout out actually to Fred Littlejohn, his dad. His dad is celebrating his 70th birthday, which is awesome. So shout out to Fred Littlejohn. Happy, happy birthday. I hope you guys are having a wonderful time together with family because family 
is super important. And David is creating all sorts of true wealth moments right now with his family. So, you know, money is how we trade our our time, but true wealth is the moments that we create. So happy birthday there, Fred Little John. All right. So on today's show, we are talking about why it's important to get started, right? And get started before 30, under 30. We're talking to all of you young listeners out there. And if you're over 30, you either have kids that are younger or know somebody that might be in their 30s, a coworker, neighbor, someone, you can, you know, share the love, spread the advice <laughs> over, grab a hold of them and say, get started now. <laughs> but uh, we were talking about uh, getting started opening accounts. Now, Justin, you had mentioned, you know, if you have an employer plan, do that first. Why is that a good idea? Well, because if they offer a match, 100% return on your initial investment is pretty hard to beat. Um, if you're going to get the free, if you have an employer plan that offers a match, at least do that. Um, so what does that mean, like a match? So what are they doing match. exactly? So if they have a 3% match and you get your paycheck and you put in 3%, the company is going to put in another 3% on your behalf. And that's before interest, guys. That's before you've earned anything on your money. You've already doubled it. Now, can you go to your employer and just say, well, instead of matching me, could you just give me the money? No. No, it's actually illegal, by the way. It's against the ERISA laws, right? E-R-I-S-A, ERISA, um, I believe. Um, so because I've had somebody approach me and say, well, I'm just going to ask my boss for the money instead. And I went, um, I don't think you can do that. So now, if I'm wrong, please let me know. You know, I'm, I'm okay with that too. But from what I understand about how this works, you can't do that. So the easiest way to get the free money is to contribute to the plan. Now, is it dollar for dollar? He's thinking about Depending, it. Um, sometimes yes. Sometimes will be three. they'll match the first 3% and then sometimes they'll do, um, say, 50 cents to the dollar for the next 2%. So you know in that aspect you'd have to contribute a little bit more to get the full match um but usually which i'm saying this usually not guaranteed um if they have a match and they have a guaranteed match if it's three percent they'll match three percent dollar for dollar unless it says differently in the documents right so i mean sometimes that's the different we the reason we keep throwing out three percent is if your employer has a simple plan, the maximum match is 3% and it's dollar for dollar 3%. Um, if they have a 401k, then they kind of can decide how much they wanna match and how they wanna match it and how much you have to put in to get the match. And so there's a little bit more customization in the rules, right? Um, the one thing that is usually true with retirement plans for, um, for companies is that what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Right. So it can't just benefit the top up and not benefit everybody else. Right. It has to be something that employees have access to. Um, but the, what I said, is, I guess where I was going with it, and I probably didn't phrase my question correctly, is, um, is it dollar for dollar? Now, I have people think, oh, if I put $40 out of my paycheck, then my paycheck's going to be lowered by $40. Now, that's kind of where I was going with it, Justin. I'm sorry. I right. probably didn't okay, ask that I'm question correctly. But do you want to address that for our listeners? Uh, sure, because especially if it is on a pre-tax basis. So depending on the tax bracket and income and things like that, if, say if you were to put $100 in, you may not, you're not going to see a $100 reduction in your paycheck. You'll most likely see somewhere between 
I don't know, you, 70 to 85. Right. Somewhere like around that yeah. aspect. So it's you're actually, you can save more without noticing more on the bottom line, I guess you could say. Because you're putting it in pre-tax. You're not being taxed on that portion of the income. Now, there are certain little taxes that do come out, but not right. um, income tax, right? And so um, it lowers your taxable income a little bit. Um, which overall can save you and depending on, again, on your tax bracket and everything else too. But um, so, you know, again, they're matching the money, right? So you're doubling the amount that you're putting in automatically, but it's not dollar for dollar necessarily of what's coming out of your paycheck. Now, some 401ks these days actually offer a Roth option. Now, just to kind of explain this a little bit more, right? The difference between Roth and traditional. And so traditional stuff goes in pre-tax, right? So you haven't paid taxes on the income yet. Roth goes in after tax. And people go, well, how does that work? Well, you pay the taxes on your check and then put the money in. So if you put in $100 and it goes into the Roth bucket in your 401k, then it does look like a $100 reduction on your paycheck. But if it goes in pre-tax into the traditional bucket, then it's not going to quite look like $100. It will look like a little bit less out of your paycheck. Now, can an employer put it their contribution in as a Roth? I love how Justin's shaking his head. We're not on TV, dude. You have to answer out loud. <laughs> He's processing. The employer contributions are uh, almost always, I'm going to say, is, is they'll go in pre-tax. So what that would do is create, say, upon retirement 20 years down the road, if you're putting in after-tax in the Roth aspect, the employee's putting in pre-tax, so it'll actually end up creating two buckets of money, a Roth bucket, an after-tax bucket, and then a pre-tax bucket, a traditional bucket. From the employer, right. Correct. So, and, and guys, the reason is, is that the employer wants the write-off, right? He wants the, he wants the reduction in their taxes. So most of the time, the majority of the time, the employer is not gonna put their contribution in after tax, because why would they wanna pay the taxes on it and then give you the money? They want the tax reduction for their company, right? So most of the time, it doesn't make sense. I don't know of anybody putting in the employer contribution into a Roth, um, but, you know, there's a difference between what you should do and what you can do, right? I mean, those are questions we get in our office too. Like, can I do this? Well, you can, but should you? <laughs> those are not the same question, right? Because what you can legally do is not always what you should do. It's not always what makes the best financial sense. By the way, I need to make an on-air correction. I said something last week on the radio um, and I was wrong. And see, this is why David usually has to be here to make sure that I don't say stupid stuff that's incorrect. So we were talking about Roth IRAs last week, and I said that you could take it out for college tax-free, and I was wrong. It's not tax-free when you take it out for college, but it's penalty-free, right? So you don't have to pay the early age penalty, right? Correct. You don't have to pay the early Correct. age penalty, but it is not tax-free. It is still taxable as income if you take it out of a Roth IRA. The gains would be. The gains would be, yeah. So I just want to make that clarification. Thank you, Justin. See, this is why I like having advisors in the studio, right? Because I know just enough to be dangerous. I know most of the framework, you guys. And then a lot of times when I have questions, I go to the, I go to the sources, right? I go double check my homework, make sure I'm giving people um, the right answer. But that's why David and Justin are always here to give the advice because I'm not supposed to give you guys advice. <laughs> but I like to have my opinions. All right. So helping people under 30 get started. We're talking about Roth IRAs. We're talking about employer plans. But we said, what happens if you don't have an employer plan? Then what should you do? 
So what are some options that people have if they don't have an employer plan, Justin? Well, if you don't have the employer plan, there's a few options. One, you can open up a traditional IRA. You can open up a Roth IRA. Or if the retirement aspect isn't really what you're after, you can open up an individual account also, which is it's an after-tax account. Um, it's like a savings account, but it's invested. Um, depending on which one is the best option depends on everybody's personal situation. Um, you know, some people are looking to shelter some taxes um, and pay less in taxes. Others aren't worried about that yet. Um, so it's really depending on, you know, everybody's individual situation um, and what they want going forward. And I would say that's one of the reasons why working with a financial pro is important because they can help you weigh your options and figure out what works best for your situation. Right now, I'm not sure how many 16-year-olds are super concerned about tax sheltering, but not to say you couldn't be, right? But also understanding your situation. And just because it works one year doesn't mean that it's always the best answer every year, right? Sometimes situations change um, and things go forward. Now, you can do it yourself too, right? Like if you had money to invest, you could go open an investment account online and choose your own adventure. Absolutely, you can. Okay, why would that, we're gonna do pros and cons on the show today. Why would that be a good thing? One, well, the pros of it would be is, well, it costs less. Because if you're doing it on your own, you're obviously not paying somebody else to help. You know, well, some of the cons of that, I guess, would be is you need to do your own research. If right. you don't know what you're doing, I mean, I'm not going to go out and, you know, pull the motor out of my car and put a new one in it. <laughs> I'm going to pay somebody to do it because I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. Um, so it's a matter of whether you need the help or you want to put the time in to avoid having the help or if you want to trust somebody or pay somebody else, um, you know, to help you through that process. And I like how David always says, you don't know what you don't know. Right. right. <laughs> and that can be, by the way, that can be a very painful financial lesson, which I would say if you're just starting out, it's a little less painful than 10 or 15 years down the road. Right. What is it he always say is we're not smarter than you were specialized. Ah, there you go. All right. Well, folks, we are up against our next break. So we're going to go ahead and take that. You have Katie Shook and Justin Brugman. And we are on the True Wealth radio show on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, and we're back. You have Katie Shook and Justin Bruggeman in the studio today. David is not with us. He's out playing with his family. So, But he will be back next week to make sure that we are all kept in line, I guess, right? right. <laughs> while, the, Hopefully. while the cat's away, the mice will play. No, just kidding. We've been working really hard at Little John Financial Services to make sure you are getting the best team possible. Um, so right now, we've been talking today about helping people under 30 get started. David is not here. Justin's been mentioning some of the things you can do, some of the types of accounts you can open. Um, now, we were talking about the do-it-yourselfer, right, a little bit, and said, hey, you can choose your own adventure if you want. Um, you, A, have to know what you're doing a little bit, right? So make sure you understand the difference between the different types of accounts, what the limits are, right? Like if you don't have an earned income, you shouldn't be opening an IRA. 
because that can get you in trouble. So we just want to make sure if you're DIYing it out there that you understand the rules and regulations before you get started. Now you can always research them, right? You can go to irs.gov and Google IRAs and it'll tell you all about it. And by the way, I would go to a reliable source when you start doing things like that, right? When it comes to the IRS and rules and regulations, getting it direct from the IRS website is about the best thing you can do. Because if you start looking at news articles or different things, they may accidentally say the wrong thing or write it in such a way that you don't understand it clearly and can lead you down the wrong path. So just be careful about it. I um, There's been a couple times when people have come to us and said, I need help. And I said, what's wrong? And they said, well, I was told I should open a Roth and I'm either not eligible or I didn't have the right stuff and now I got to undo it. What do I do? Right. So we are trying to help prevent you from falling in the hole in the first place. Now you can do it yourself and some of the reasons you may want to do it yourself. Um, some advisors have account minimums to work with them. Right. Not, not everybody, but some do. Right. And they'll say, hey, you need X amount of money to come work with our firm. And you may not have that much. So maybe that's one of the reasons you'd start off with DIY. Who knows? Um, the other portion of that that I wanna get into a little bit is picking your own adventure. Now, I don't know if you are aware or not, if you've ever actually looked at what is available to purchase from a company, but how many choices are there, Justin? Tons. <laughs> lots and lots. Like tons. I mean, when you're, we're talking like tons. Like there's probably what, over 10,000 stocks on the stock exchange? I couldn't even give you a number. Um, they're just, there's lots. Okay. So, you know, it's one thing to go, oh, well, I have to choose between A or B, right? Or even A through Z. But what happens when you have to choose between one and 10,000? What do you choose? Now, I remember, this is my own personal story, I remember being in college and people were like, oh, I'm investing. And that was when companies printed really cool, colorful share certificates. Did you ever do this? Did you ever buy I like a not. share? I did okay. not, too so, young. <laughs> I remember in college when you know companies would issue share certificates and they were gorgeous. And um, I remember friends going, oh, we bought like, Coors Light or something so that they could say they owned like a portion of a beer company or a portion of, you know, Nike or Disney or something kind of fun because of the share certificate. Now, yes, the share certificates are beautiful, but I want to point out something. In order to buy a share of a company, you have to pay what the value of the share is. And they're not all created equal, right? So... No. To give you a couple examples, say you had $500, right? You're, you've saved $500 of your earned income and you wanted to open a Roth IRA on your own. And you're like, great, I got the account open and I got the money in there, now what do I do? Well, you have to pick the investments, right? You're doing it yourself, you have to pick the investments. So I wanted to give you an example of things you could buy and things you couldn't buy. Now, again, this is not investment advice. I'm not telling you to go buy these things. Right, You need to do your own research and pick the investments based on your own personal situation. But I wanted you to understand the range of what is out there and how much money you actually need to buy a share, right? So like I always mention Disney. I love Disney. It's one of my favorites. David knows it too. Disney today is at $135 and change a share. So in order to buy one share of Disney, you need at least 136 bucks plus whatever the transaction fees are. Now, Tesla, 
$225.86 a share as of today, right? Home Depot, $217.09 a share. Do you want to guess what Amazon's going for today? What would your guess be, Justin? Off the top of your head, what do you think Amazon's worth? 1800 and change. I don't know exactly off the top of my head. See how well he pays attention to the market, you guys? $1,801.38. Look at that. See, he looks at this stuff all the time. So if you had $500 to start your investing, you could not go buy a share of Amazon. You would need to save for a while and keep putting your pennies in there because you would need at least $1,800 to go buy the share plus whatever the transaction fees are. And the reason I tell you this is, again, not all stocks are created equal right? They all have different values. Some go up in value and some have gone down in value, right? So, and by the way, like I'm just going to share JCPenney three years ago, it was worth $11 a share. Do you want to know what it's worth today? Take a guess. We're playing the guessing game. $2. 61 cents. That was close. Yeah. So if you're DIYing it and you're picking your own adventure, Make sure you keep at least one eyeball <laughs> on what you're buying because I would have been really sad if I put like $200 in JCPenney a couple years ago and it's worth like two today. <laughs> so you need to watch it if you're doing your own adventure. Um, you know, the other thing that gets brought up in social circles a lot and, and I think more so in the state of Oregon, Justin, have people ever asked you about pot stocks? Yes. Um, now, is this a trendy thing? Is this a, I mean, you know, what do you think when people say, oh, should I invest in pot? It's one of those that we, or I, I guess, I don't know enough about and I can't track enough about and there's not enough history for me to be interested. Okay. Um, it's kind of one of those you have to do your own research on that one because with it not being federally legal and things like that, it's just a, I don't know. This so the, is the best answer is I don't. Well, right. And, and and here's the reason I'm kind of sharing this. So I get probably about once a quarter, somebody says, do you guys invest in pot stocks? And I'm like, oh, here we go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, by the way, I don't care what you personally think about marijuana right? There are businesses out there that use marijuana for a bunch of different things, right? They can use the hemp, they can do CBD oils, all the other stuff. And there are a handful of companies that are publicly traded right now that you, and we jokingly, affectionately call them pot stocks, but it could be a variety of stuff with marijuana, right? Marijuana uses. Now, they also range. And like you said, there's not a long enough track history. Um, and they can be somewhat volatile as well because laws are constantly changing around them. Right. Like, I mean, whether or not they're legal in certain states, they're still federally illegal. So still trying to deal with some of the different ins and outs and nuances of that. Right. And so the hardest part is you you don't have a track record. So we we have no idea where it's going or what it's doing. Um, and, and I bring it up. Like I said, people come up to our office and say, hey, have you ever you know, do you invest in pot stocks? Have you ever heard of them? What do you think about them? And um, we have to have an opinion. Right. <laughs> But one of the things you brought up, which I think is a good point, is there's no there's not a long enough track record. Now, what kind of track record are you looking for um, when you're starting to investigate a stock or an investment? 
You know, it varies um, when we're looking at different positions and things like that. One, it just needs to be long enough for us to be able to have any type of data. I mean, something that's a brand new or an initial public offering and things like that, those are might be the wrong word, but it's pure specu- speculation of what's going to happen once it's released to the public. Um, so I know when we back test and look things like that, we want a track record. The time frame varies. Um, you know, it could be three years, it could be 10 years, it could be 20. Um, it's just a matter of as long as there's enough data there for us to be able to analyze and we kind of can go from there. Now, you brought up a good word, speculation, right? Speculation is exactly that. Like you're going, I have no idea where that's going. I'm willing to lose it all, <laughs> but I'm going to go all for red. It's putting it all in black. There you, oh, see, I chose red, you chose black. Yeah. Look at that. We're even on opposite sides of the table on that one too. So you can speculate with money, right? We would yeah. not advise you to do that on all of your money, but it's not to say that certain investors haven't come in from time to time and said, I want to put some money in this investment and see where it goes. Now, that's not a bad thing. Talk with your advisor about it. If you don't have one, you can always call our office, 541-375-0898. You know, one of the things that we've been trying to do today a little bit is educate you. And um, three pillars that our office stands on is educate, plan, and invest. And the reason we do those in that order is because how can you invest in something you don't know about, right? So education is the first component. You talked about research today, looking it up, making sure you understand where the stock has been, where it's going, how is it performing, um, but also understand how the market's doing, right? Like if the market's slightly down right now, you know, a good amount of stocks are going to be slightly down right now. So is it following the trend? Is it down more? Is it down less? How is it doing compared to how the market's performing? Um, and then just kind of keeping an eye on it. If you're going to DIY, keep an eye on it. Otherwise, it's worth it to work for with a financial pro. I love that you mentioned taking out your car engine, right? Because that's a complicated thing, like pulling a whole engine out. I still kind of want to take it back because I think I can still do it. But <laughs> should have done it like doing daughter's hair or something. That I can't do. I need somebody yeah. else to do it. So there's certain things that no matter how many tutorials you watch, right? How many YouTube videos you watch, how many people make it look really easy. Like it is much harder to actually do it than you think. I always think about that when I watch like DIY shows for home, right? Like you watch a half hour, an hour episode and you're like, oh, look, they totally flipped this living room or this whole kitchen in like 45 minutes. And you're like, yeah, you don't realize that was like three months of filming that they had to clip down into a one hour episode. Right. From somebody who's done it over a dozen times and does it day in and day out. And that's their life. Like, I can't tell you how many first time DIYers for home flipping that people have gone. Oh, my gosh, I wish I knew then what I know now. (laughs) Like I had to make all the financial mistakes the hard way. And by the way, mistakes a lot of times usually cost you money. Right. Like you're lucky if a mistake doesn't cost you money, like really lucky, because a lot of times when it comes to stuff like that, they hurt just a little bit so but anyways we're up against our last break folks so we want to make sure to get that so you are listening to the true wealth radio show you have katie shook and justin brugman true wealth on news radio 1240 kqen all right we are on the home stretch of the true wealth radio show you have katie shook and 
Justin Bruggeman. So I dragged Justin into the studio today. He is another advisor in our office at Little John Financial Services. David is out creating true wealth moments with his family. Um, and by the way, if you know Justin personally, he does not like public speaking at all. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> this is like pure torture for him, which is kind of fun and a little mean, right? I kind of feel like like the evil guy twisting the mustache, like ha ha ha. Sorry, I couldn't even do that all the way through, right? It hurts too much. But anyways, today on the show, we've been talking about why you should start investing under 30 and why it's important and getting started early. I feel like it's kind of an underlying theme of what we talk about often. But uh, during the break, Jess and I were talking about debt and what you should do, right? You're thinking, like, we've been talking about investing so far on the show, like if you're a DIYer versus working with a pro. Um, some of the things to consider when you're weighing your options between the two. But uh, what happens if you're under 30 and you have debt? What should you do then, Justin? Pay it down as fast as possible. Right. Um, and why I is mean, that important? I mean, outside of, of a home mortgage we'll kind of, or even living in rural Oregon, a car loan. Like those, I kind of put a little bit aside for that aspect. Let's say if you were to... In, inherit or come into a thousand dollars and you saved a thousand dollars and you owe twelve hundred dollars on a credit card are you better off saving investing the seven thousand dollars hoping to gain or planning to gain seven to eight percent you know going forward or is it a better use of that money to pay down the credit card debt and get out of that because credit card debt's going to have twice as much interest anywhere from I mean, I guess it could be anywhere from 10 to 30%. And Well, and let's be honest. A lot of people starting out with credit cards. Okay, so let's take like a 19-year-old. Okay, so because you're saying like, you know. The Sears card. That's the one. <laughs> Sears doesn't exist anymore, I dude. Know, exactly. They have an Amazon card and exactly. they like to prime the crud out of everything, right? Let's be honest about that. All right, so, you know. We're talking about a wide range of ages here. And I kind of think we need to break it down a little bit more, right? Like if you're in high school, so let's say like 15 to 18, right? Like high school age, somewhere in there, you usually don't have a credit card, right? And you most of the time shouldn't have really debt. Right. Because you're not old enough to sign for anything. Correct. So at that point, start learning how to save, make it a habit, just do it just do it right i mean even if it's 25 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month if you're working figure out how to save learn how to become a saver because that will benefit you so much over life like you don't even understand i mean save 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 spend less than you make right like that's we always talk about that on the show i mean that again is an underlying theme now there's another age bracket right and i'm gonna say it's like 18 to 25. so 18 to 25 somewhere in there like college-ish age, mm-hmm. right? Like Now, I am not saying 18 to 21 because some people don't finish college in four years, right? Some people take a little longer um, depending on whether or not they go full-time or part-time right. or what the deal is. But let's say 18 to 25. Now, 18 to 25, you may or may not have a car or car, or car loan for that matter, right? Some people save, again, pay cash for a car, just kind of get a beater and that's what they drive. Other people go out and buy it. It can be a used car too, but go out and buy a car, finance it, and they may have a car loan. They may have student debt, right? Maybe they've carried some credit card debt or student debt, um, going to school or different places, right? And I know for me personally, I remember 
being 18 as a freshman in college and getting a credit card application and like, what? They're going to give me a credit card? Like, oh my gosh. It was like angels were singing. I wish I knew it was like the devil sitting on my shoulder instead, right? I got the free blanket at Oregon State came. Is that what you did? I did. <laughs> so I see, did. it was in college, right? I got yep. sucked into the darn credit card debt. I was like, and and again, if you don't really have somebody mentoring you, teaching you about debt, teaching you how this works, that can work out bad. And then there's the next age range, right? Which is like 25 to 30. So maybe you're out of college, you're working in your career and kind of making things going. So when you were talking about a mortgage, I'm thinking more on the older 20 spectrum than the 18 to 25 spectrum. I mean, there are 18 to 25 year olds that have a home, but not as likely, right? Right. So we're talking about a range of things and each of those ranges come with their own obstacles, right? So learn how to save, start saving now. Key elements of the show today, like if you have an employer plan, contribute to that and get the match, you know, figure out what you need to become eligible Um, because sometimes it's part-time versus full-time employment or how long you've been there. Um, But learn about things. And if you're going to be a DIYer, do your homework, right? Figure out what you're doing first. And if you don't have time to be a DIYer, seek help, right? I could probably figure out how to change my own oil. I just have no desire to. Like, I would rather work with somebody that does it on a daily basis and can do it, and I don't have to get my hands dirty. And I don't have to take the liability that if I didn't screw something on right or put the right oil in, I've just screwed up my car, right? So your future is like a really expensive car. Don't do anything you can to screw it up. Like, make sure that you do the right things. So stuff that's really important. I think that's it today for our show, folks. Um, thank you for listening today to the True Wealth Radio Show. We've been talking about helping people under 30 get started. So you have Katie Shook and Justin Brueggemann on the True Wealth Radio Show on News Radio 1240, KQEN.